Hello, and welcome to the Music Teacher Coffee Talk podcast. I'm Tanya. And I'm Carrie. We are both elementary music teachers who love to talk shop, preferably over a steaming cup of coffee. This is episode number 122. Today we are continuing our series all about the three P's of a Kodai-inspired classroom, prepare, present, and practice. This episode will be all about the practice stage. We'll also talk about our highs and lows from the week, discuss some ideas on our Know Better, Do Better segment, share a work smarter, not harder teacher tip, and in our CODA section, we'll give some specific recommendations of our favorite things we are enjoying in and out of the music room. So grab your beverage of choice and let's get started. So now it is time to talk about highs and lows from the teaching week. So Tanya, what do you want to talk about? All right. Well, I'm going to go high. Um, I've been recording, video recording, my students doing songs in the music room, and then I've been editing them a little bit in iMovie on my Mac and adding the uh, captions, N not captions like anything dramatic, like just the lyrics. Like titles to what they're, to what they're doing. Titles, exactly. Yeah. And the... Um, yeah, of exactly what they're singing and what they're saying. And so it's been very, very awesome because then I've been sending those videos to our librarian who puts them on the daily news program. Yeah. So um, I've done three so far and I just have gotten such good feedback, not just from the kids who I've recorded who are so excited to see themselves um, but also it's very fun because I record them like once we watch it and then they give some critiques of themselves like, oh, you know, we could have done this part better. Oh, the instruments here could have been here. And then we do it again. So, of course, they're learning by critiquing their own thing. Um, and then after they get very excited that they're on the news and they're very short films. Um, but then other students who are not in that class have been coming up and, and saying, Ooh, I saw second grade do black cat. And that was so cool. And when are we going to do that? And so anyway, um, also it's very good PR for families. Um, I've asked our school secretary to send out the, um, little video to all the parents of the kindergartners say we did five little pumpkins and we put instruments to it. Um, we did black cat and we did little leaves are falling and uh it's just been a really fun way to have a performance without the stress of all right here's one night dedicated to performing everybody come to the gym and all of that stuff because uh, i was kind of feeling bad that some students this year i have not scheduled a formal performance for and i really do not want to get back to having a concert for every single grade level so if this can satisfy um, the, whoever really wants to see performances, then that's a great option. So now I'm making a spreadsheet and I'm putting in all the classes that don't have a formal performance. And I'm going to make sure that I put them on the news sometime this year. I wonder if you could also take all those videos and edit them into like one long video. And then at yeah. the end of the year, 
send it out to the parents and then they I was thinking of that too yeah Yeah. and I was thinking that would be a fun you know montage at the very end of the year but can't think about that yet because we've only got three that's a long way to go yeah we're gonna work work up to like you know a a few yeah yeah so that's been going well how about you um, I want to share some high notes from my choir. Tanya's kind of already heard this little story off mic, but I just had a really fantastic choir rehearsal experience yesterday. So a little backstory for you listeners. Um, in our district, we have a few late start days throughout the uh, school year, and they are intended for teachers to have extra planning time, which is lovely. But um Uh, There have been a lot of disruptions to my choir rehearsal days, which are Thursdays. Sometimes they're days we have off of school. Sometimes they're days I've been out of town. So when I saw that we were going to have this late start day on yet another Thursday, I kind of freaked out. And we have a uh, vocal festival Veterans Day themed concert coming up in a week and a half. And I was really worried my students weren't going to be ready. So while back i talked to my principal about this and i said well hey if uh if i'm okay with it would you be okay with it having my choir students come at their normal time which is already um you know 45 minutes earlier than they would normally come to school but then on the late start day it's two hours and 45 minutes earlier that they are required to come to school and have a super long mega extended rehearsal but i called it a retreat uh choir rehearsal and retreat and my principal was all about it she thought it was great told the parents gave them plenty of notice and i had all but one student come one student was not able to come just because she was sick from school that day so i really did have a really awesome attendance and got so much done with them and i broke up the rehearsal so we did like 30 minutes of music and then i took them to the gym i had asked the PE teacher ahead of time and i played a game with them so i played the which witch fell in a ditch, picked up a penny and thought she was rich. And where you spread Always out a like a hit. clock. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, I had all this room in the gym. So I spread out like a huge giant clock and, you know, the students run around and they go stand next to a clock and we sing, what time is it old witch? And the witch in the middle sings, it's 12 o'clock. And then those students are put in the witch's stew, which means they have to sit in the middle. But um, it was just fun because it's a big group of kids. It was 45 kids in the gym. So we played that for about 15 minutes and then we went back did more music and then we had snack time i had brought some uh granola bars some bananas some donut holes and um we were gonna go outside for a recess but hey it snowed yesterday (laughs) so i ended up showing them a video which was really funny because one of the pieces we're doing for this concert is you can't stop the beat from hairspray so just on a whim i'm like oh well i'll just show them that part from the movie which is fine it's not uh you know an inappropriate part of the movie by any means but there is a big old smooch at the end and they just all just screamed at the top of their lungs um and then after that we did more music we learned the choreography to you can't stop the beat and then we did a final run through and we ran through all of the pieces for the concert and first of all i was just so pleased because these kids are awesome their focus was amazing i had a couple whiny moments where they were starting to get tired but i was also proud of myself for the way i planned the rehearsal giving them appropriate breaks throughout and keeping it fun for them so all in all it was a really great experience um 
definitely don't know that I would need to repeat it every time we have a late start day, but no, in this case, it worked really well just because we had a lot of music we had to learn in a short amount of time and um, got really good feedback from parents. They were very thankful that I had this opportunity, especially our parents who work and they weren't sure how they were going to make all this work. But anyways, I was just really proud of my kids and it was just a really fun way to start the day. Yay. And we wanted to just give a mention that we have a couple of presentations coming up. If you happen to be in the Seattle area, Carrie is presenting for the Northwest Kodai Educators on November 5th. And what's the title of your workshop? Uh, keep them singing, keep them playing. Oh, it'll be awesome. So, so. Yeah, it's chock full of singing games, but then ideas on how to then uh, use those singing games towards activities that promote musical literacy and creativity and those types of things. Yeah. Um, and then the following weekend, Carrie and I are both presenting for the Regional Organization of Colorado Kodai Educators, known as Rocky. Um, yeah. That's November 12th in Fort Collins at Colorado State University. It's going to be a fun time. We're going to be singing, dancing, playing, all kinds of things. So please come out if you are in those areas. Yes, please. We'd love to see you. Okay, and now it's time for our main theme. So we've been talking about this idea of preparing, presenting, and practicing specific melodic or rhythmic concepts. And today we're talking about the practice, all about practice. What do we do now that we have a name for that specific melodic thing or that specific rhythmic thing? And we're gonna go ahead and continue on with the um, things we've talked about in the last two episodes. So talk about Ray for us, Carrie. Now the kids know Ray. They know yeah. his relationship to me and Doe and so-in-law. And now we're, where are we going? Yeah, so um, I have to say practice is, it's my favorite stage of all the stages. I just, and it goes on forever. And there's just so much you can do. And um, the kids really get excited. They really light up when they just really know something and then they're able to work with it and play with it in different ways. Um, so I also want to make a mention that, you know, when one takes Kodai levels, which Tanya and I always say, that's the way to go to learn all this stuff really in depth. We talk about in the preparation stage, we talk about making sure we're providing activities where we are preparing them orally, kinesthetic, and visually. Um, but when we're talking practice, we think more specific skill-based. So things that promote reading and writing activities, mm -hmm. things that promote memory or inner hearing where they're recalling things and they're able to um, either sing back or write down or or whatever memorize um part work so that's where we're doing not only vocal part work like rounds and cannons and ostinati but also putting things on instruments and then finally improvisation and composition which um in my mind are definitely the the most difficult of those things where the students are taking that knowledge and applying it to something new so i'm gonna give a few mentions of some things i might do with ray and then tanya will do the same with her rhythmic concept and so can i just Oh, yes. Please. And I just interrupt and say one of the things that I really love about Kodai Inspired Teaching is this whole idea of now that we know this thing, we're going deeper with it. It's really 
very much attached to Bloom's taxonomy. You know, knowing the name of a thing, knowing how to sing it or play it is one thing, but when you can improvise with it, when you can compose with it, then you truly know it. And this model just goes so flows so very well into that. Let's really, really get into it and make sure it's part of our musical vocabulary. Totally. Yeah. So then when it comes to reading and writing, um, you know, what we're definitely going to do is pull back then those same songs that we worked on in the preparation stage and um, definitely go back and listen to that episode as well, which was number 120, where we talked about that. But some of the songs that we discussed for preparing Ray were um, Hot Cross Buns, Hop Old Squirrel, Great Big House in New Orleans. I think I also mentioned Bow Wow Wow along the way, and we'll put all these songs in the show notes. But really, we're focusing first on that me, Ray, do, wherever it lies in any of these songs. But then now that we're in the practice stage, we're also going to weave in so and la, assuming that you have used that as your sequence of melodic understanding. And then this is also the time to pull in new songs. So therefore, we're going to ask students to do some sight reading. So one of my favorite songs for later practice for Ray is who is that tapping at the window? And the reason why I save that for later practice is because that so to ray interval, do, so, ray, ray, mi, mi, ray, do, that is trickier for students to be able to sing from so to ray. That's a large leap. So you definitely want to make sure you're thinking when you're choosing your literature about the intervals you're asking your students to sing. Obviously, stepwise and then a skip of a third is going to be easier to sing than a leap of a fourth or a leap of a fifth. So all that to say, for reading and writing activities, we're going to be reading in both stick notation and staff notation. So stick notation is where we're seeing the rhythmic sticks, the ta, ti, ti sticks. If they are reading half notes, then yes, you would have the note head there, not colored in. And then underneath that, you have the sol fa syllables. And it might be helpful, a good scaffolding step for your students might be to also kind of level those sticks. So a mi stick and a, is going to be slightly higher than a stick slightly higher than a dough stick so we're, we're still leveling it so they can see the pitch and they can see the melodic contour but we're not worrying about specific steps and skips on the staff so that would be more of an early practice reading activity um, and then for later practice obviously we're going to be reading it on the staff and assuming that they are already familiar with the staff because of the work you've done with so me la and do now we're just noticing that ray is specifically in between do and me if Do's in a space, Me's in a space, Ray's on the line, or vice versa if you're talking about Do being on a line, Ray's in a space. Um, and then when it comes to doing some writing work, this is where I love to break out those staff boards, those individual staff boards, and having students do staff notation, either using dry erase markers or mini erasers. We are such fans of mini erasers. Oh, <laughs> so yeah. if we're doing um, you know, hop boat squirrel, idle dum, idle dum. I've got some cute little leaf mini erasers. So we're thinking about the trees that the squirrels are going to be hopping around. Um, or you could definitely get just those little bingo um, chips, those little round one inch circle chips. And the reason why I love those is because they are transparent. So when you put them on the staff, you can still see the line going through the note to make sure students know on the line means literally on top of the line. 
Um, mm -hmm. Also, technology is a great way to practice reading and writing on the staff. So having students do something on Seesaw, for example, where they're either doing a drag and drop activity, where they're dragging note heads to a staff, or maybe they're writing it physically using their finger as their stylus on an iPad or on a touch screen. But then what's beautiful about Seesaw is after they write it, then they can record themselves themselves singing it. So they might be singing it on Solfa and then singing it on text. But what a great assessment later on when you can listen back and listen to make sure that what they are singing is accurate to what they are reading and writing. Yes. Excellent. Yeah. Yeah. So then totally. talking about some memory or inner hearing work, um, you know, we're not going to get in the weeds of the difference between those things. Take your code eye levels is what we're always going to say. But um, one of my favorite ways to practice melodically having students hear, listen, recall, sing back is uh, poison pattern games. And we've talked about poison pattern, I'm sure, on this show before. And there's so many different ways you can play poison pattern. So you could just play orally where you tell the students, okay, the poison pattern is me, Ray, Do. So sing back to me using your hand signs or body signs. But if I sing me, Ray, Do, don't sing that one back or you're poisoned. And you can play where individual students get out or you could play students versus teacher. Um, but another way in the practice stage to play poison pattern is to have it be a written way. So you might have this on a PowerPoint presentation or on a Google Slides presentation or whatever, but you're flipping through flashcards essentially with different patterns you tell them before what the poison pattern is and again it could be stick notation it could be staff notation but if the students they're singing what they see they're reading melodic patterns and if they see that me ray do don't sing that one or you're going to be poisoned you're going to be out so poison pattern games are always a hit students really love those can i ask you about something regarding yes, poison pattern yeah. Do you intentionally scaffold starting with Mirado and then add so in law to any patterns with Mirado? Yeah, I mean, I probably, I, I can't, I don't know that I specifically have a poison pattern game for Ray now that I'm thinking of it. But if I were oh. to create a poison oh. pattern game for Ray, um, yeah, I would definitely start with me, Ray Do being the very first poison pattern and have all of the patterns just have me, Ray Do or Do, okay. Ray, me, you know, yeah. some combination, but then level them up as they're playing the game. And leveling them up could be adding more pitches, making the tone set larger. It could also be changing from stick notation to staff notation, having having the solfa written in and then taking that away. So there's lots of ways you can scaffold this work. I think the important thing with melodic work though is to really think about your scaffolding and what your students are ready for because we know that melodic work, especially on the staff, is one of the hardest things we do with our students, right? Yes. So if we're just throwing them on a staff immediately and asking them to read pentatonic patterns on a staff without giving them those scaffolding steps on the way, there's probably going to be some frustration from you and from the students. Yes. Can I, just because I did this today. Oh, yeah. I, I did a reading poison pattern with me, Ray Doe, today. Oh, great. Um, and it was one where they were reading each slide and I did scaffold it, but my poison pattern was do, re, mi, do. Oh, and yeah. I have to say, and like, I know this of course, but that singing mi, re, do is a lot easier for them to see it and then sing it than it is for them to say, hear, see and sing do, re, mi. Because when I had patterns that the next pattern was like, do, re, do, do, they would sing, do, re, do, 
Dodo, right? Yes, they get that yes. me in their head. So mm -hmm. it's interesting that going up, it's an issue. Yeah. And it's really hard for them to like switch out of it. But going down, it seems to flow really nicely. And that's a mistake that I made in my written poison pattern that I, you know, you'll, you find out when you do it with kids, yeah. right? That my poison pattern should not have been do, re, mi, do. It should have been mi, re, do, do, which would have been which preceding, you know, a ascending melodic pattern. Sure. Yeah. Just, and it's not that, yeah. Eventually, of course, we want them to be able to sing all the patterns. But well, of we course. Know, yes. Yeah, we know it's going to be naturally more easy for kids or we'll find out something else I do when I'm doing those types of things where students are singing melodically from flashcards is the preparation I give them. I'm often giving them the, the, the context of what they're singing. So yes. in your case, if the if the pattern is that they're about to sing is do, re, mi, do, then I sing, ready, set, and here you go. Right. <laughs> I kind of I know. I give that them too. that. Um, but then they still have to sing it back on the syllables. So exactly. yeah, I'm front loading some information for them. But again, it's it's about meeting them where they're at. And yes. you know, I have to say, if I have second graders or third graders who are singing pitches correctly from a staff, um, I don't know that I could have done that when I was in second Oh, no, there's no way. I mean, I, I didn't have that kind of yeah. training. I, I didn't see staff until middle school. So exactly. yeah. Exactly. But yes, it is developmentally. It's really, really interesting the kind of things that the kids will show you that they can do and that they need a little more time on. Yep, totally. So uh, part work melodically, it's again, it's going to be a lot of things through canon and through um, ostinati, first singing and then playing it on instruments. So for example, I might take the song Bow Wow Wow and just turn that last phrase, Bow Wow Wow. Mi, re, do, into an ostinato. And the beautiful thing is when you're still working with pentatonic tunes, you can pretty much turn anything into an ostinato and it's going to sound good. You know, you don't have to worry too much melodically and harm harmonically about what's happening. Um, but I would have students sing that as an ostinato in one class period, doing it on body signs or hand signs. So half of them singing the ostinato, half of them singing the song. And then perhaps in the next class period then, pull out either ORF instruments or depending on the key of the song, if you're going to go to C-Do, you could obviously do boom whackers or things like that. But honestly, barred instruments to me are my favorite because, I mean, boom whackers are fun and they're lovely and there's, there's a point to them, but having students play all three or four or whatever pitches themselves is going to really show me that they have a melodic understanding. Um, having students play hand chimes or hand bells or boom whackers, that's just showing me that they know how to count and they know when to play their one note what yeah I when they're pointed at or when they see exactly. the ghost jump on top of the yeah, D. exactly <laughs> yeah thank you musication we love you i mean really i love that stuff but if i'm talking specifically practicing melodic patterns i want students playing patterns or entire yes. melodies not just one note within that pattern um so yeah playing ostinati on instruments is um is definitely a go-to with that. And then finally, improvisation and composition. So my big message I want to get out for this is, for me, if, if the focus is on Ray, then what I'm going to do if I'm going to have students compose or improvise for that matter is I'm going to give them the rhythm because I don't want them to get all hung up on what the rhythm is and what the solfa is. I think that's asking them to do 
a lot in one sitting. So I might give students um, an eight beat rhythm, just using tas and titis, not even doing anything too complicated, but just a rhythm with tas and titis, and then they choose the sol fa that goes with it. We can talk at this point about how ending on do would make our song sound complete and finished, but let's have a ray in there somewhere. Um, I talk to my students about how music mostly goes by step or small skips. Maybe you have a leap in there somewhere, but if you have too many leaps, here's what it might sound like. And I sing a really weird, obviously disjunct kind of thing. So, you know, really teaching students what makes a good melody. Um, but again, giving them the rhythm first before I ask them to compose melodically, I think really helps with that. And again, having students compose first in stick notation and then transfer it to staff notation in the next class period is another good thing to do as well. Awesome. Yes. Something I sure. just also want to mention too before we move on is I think one of the hardest things I ever ask my students to do is improvise melodically, vocally. Yes. I yes. mean, they could do it on instruments, no problem. I can give them a tone set on the barred instruments and they can go to town. Um, but asking them to improvise melodically is really hard. Do you find that too, Tanya? Oh, definitely. Because, you know, I mean, when we, it would be one thing if they were, I don't know, grounded in a tone set and they didn't know what they were singing. But when you say we're only going to sing these five notes, that's, you know, that's very, they have to know exactly where they're going and it has to be in their inner ear. It has yeah. to be in their head before it comes out at their voice. And like we keep saying over and over again, melodic is so much more challenging because they really need to be able to sing in tune before they really fully comprehend the melodic concepts because if they're not singing in tune then you know they're not hearing because a lack of singing in tune just means there's a disconnect between what they're hearing in their head and what they're producing with their voice it comes from not knowing their voice and being familiar with their voice and being unsure of what they hear in their head and how it comes out and so yeah when they're not there 100%, they can't possibly just sing on me, Rado. Yeah. yeah. Well, and or even so classes, me. right. Even students in classes who are singing tunefully and reading and doing all those things, all of a sudden, like you said about switching the syllables, I'll say, okay, let's, you know, I want you to sing back to me a, a three beat, you know, melodic pattern that uses just do, re, me, and they'll sing, me, Ray, Do, right? Exactly. Um, so yeah, I just find that that's just not a battle maybe I'm willing to fight, especially at, at this at that younger grade. So I will just say for me, most of my melodic improvisation is really going to be on the barred instruments. Exactly. I, yes. I might ask them to do text improvisation or, you know, things within a certain tone set as far as coming up with with different arrangements, but like just to ask them to full out sing something vocally on the spot. I, I just, that to me is not worth the fuss. I well, mean, and you know what? I, I put it about mid third grade, that whole understanding, like at the earliest. Yeah. Because like you were saying, they will say the correct syllables, but saying different syllables. And some kids don't even understand the difference. Yeah. They're like, I said me, what's the problem? What is the problem? But they sang do, right? So it's so abstract and you know how concrete they are. I really yeah. think it's about until mid third grade that they 
have that struggle between, all right, well, I'm saying this word, but what's the pitch coming out, you know? Yeah, totally. So there you go. Some ideas for Ray. Okay, cool. Okay. So Tanya's going to take us through a, a rhythmic example, and we've been talking about um, Tietika as We're a rhythmic example. Yes. Yeah. So um, last episode, you hopefully listened to, we were talking about presenting these concepts. And with T Tika, the big takeaway is that we've got three uneven sounds on one beat and the first sound is the longest. There's the T part of TT and then there's the Tika part of Tika Tika. So it flows very well initially, but then when we really get into practicing, we wanna make sure that they can read and be fluent with T Tika in known songs and new material and be able to improvise. So honestly, I, right after we present T-Tika, one of the first things I do is I, ha I sit everybody down in a circle and we do some, I guess we could call it improvisation, although it's got very strict boundaries. And here's what I'm talking about. Um, I have little cards that have a T-Tika written on them and everyone gets a card. We have a four beat beat strip in front of us that's pretty large. And that is so that they can track, but also so they can visually see what they, where they are. And I say, here's your T-Ticka. Everyone put it in the third beat. If it doesn't have T-Ticka on it, it's ta. So I don't give them ta's. We just, it's all ta unless it's T-Ticka. So we all practice saying ta, ta, T-Ticka, ta. And then from there, I will go around the circle and the rule is you say a rhythm, your four beats all by yourself. It's got to have T-Ticka in it. Put your T-Ticka anywhere. And so kids make that choice and, and it doesn't matter if the person next to you has their T-Ticka in the same beat. It doesn't matter. And what I'm working here for is rhythm fluency. So they might have been able to speak the rhythms of these songs. And some of the songs were, we did the Taylor and the Mouse, Jean to la Moonla, Fire in the Mountain. Um, I have found that even when kids are able to tee, tick a tee, 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 tick a tick a tee, tee, tick a tick a tee, you know, um, whenever they are able to sing the rhythm, it doesn't flow naturally that they're still able to be fluent saying tee, tick a, especially when you, so many of these songs have ticka tickas anti tickas and I don't know about you, but I find that they get tongue tied. Yeah. With the difference. Right. So, yeah. So we sit down and we just do this around the circle. Everyone needs to speak their rhythm, their four beats. And I like doing that right away because they have to do it individually. And when you're doing it in a group, it's very easy for you to kind of, you know, fade back and follow along. And when you have to be independent and speak that rhythm independently, it forces you to really get it right. Right. Um, so that's kind of in the realm of very early improvisation. And it's really only improvisation because, um, well, I guess maybe it's more composition because we, we are putting our tea ticket in a beat before we have to say it. Right. So, um, Anyway, cool. so that's an early practice that we are doing. Of course, we're reading our songs with the rhythms. Um, and 
we're also going to be decoding right away. So I get out my whiteboards and my dry erase markers and we just do some old fashioned rhythmic dictation where I give them four beats of a rhythm. I make them draw some beat dots across the top just to keep track. I used to say, draw a beat, draw hearts, but then they got so invested in what their hearts looked like, it kind of was a mess. So now we just draw beat dots at the very top and we are writing our beat, writing our rhythms right underneath those beat dots. Another thing you could do is just four lines across and that's the beat and you're writing your rhythm on top of that you know, dash. Yeah. Um, and so we start with patterns that come directly from those songs, like uh, the tailor in the mouse. In fact, I use the tailor in the mouse very quickly after, because um, it also has a rest in it, which is a little tricky. So we, uh, I will at first doing rhythmic dictation, just give them the straight up rhythm. So I say, all right, write this, T, ticka, T, 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 and then there's no sound for the rest. Oh. I'll also track. So I'll use the overhead projector and I track as I'm saying the rhythm. So they're just writing the rhythm exactly how they've heard it from me. And then the next step is, okay, well this time I'm not going to use our rhythm language. I'm going to use a neutral syllable. Uh -huh. So I might say ba 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 ba. And I always play it three times and I track at the same time yeah. and they'll write it. So we do some rhythmic dictation this way and that's writing and also decoding because of course the next thing it would be, I play it, I tap it on the board and they listen and decode it. And then the step after that is that I play it and I don't track visually as they are hearing it. And, um, it's very interesting because I used to have kids repeat it right after I do it and then write it. But lately, in the last year or so, I've not had them repeat it because I want them to have that think time. Huh. What are your thoughts on that? What do you do? I have them repeat it because I think that's them. I, I tell them that's them sticking it in their brain. That is their yeah. think time, I guess, is how I think of it. Or basically, I have them repeat the next one while they're erasing the previous one. Is there you go. That ends up happening. Yeah. Well, I've noticed that there are some kids who do repeat it naturally. They just do. Yeah. And then I have some kids that are silent, but I can tell they're, well, can't really tell, but it seems like they're playing it in their head. That makes sense. So yeah. I just want to give that option so uh, of silence in case someone's out loud repeating the rhythm messes up somebody else's inner hearing. If right, exactly. Yeah. And sometimes they repeat it wrong and then that messes everybody up. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, so writing and decoding, of course, we also introduce some new songs. And one of my favorite later, um, let's read this brand new song is red are strawberries because mm -hmm. we've got that strawberries, strawberries, you know, um, and that'll be in the show notes, but I'm, you know, if you don't know it, it's a, a lovely Finnish song and, um, El Relo, which is perfect for right now because it is a day of the dead chant. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, and that is October 31st, November 1st, November 2nd, has nothing to do with Halloween, but the Day of the Dead, 
um, this chant. It's very much in the realm of satire where the skeleton gets up at different times. When the clock strikes one, he comes out of his grave. When the clock strikes two, he gets a cough. So we pantomime this and then there's a chant that they keep coming back to tumba ke tumba 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 or tumba ta tumba 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 ti tika ti ti tika tika ti ti um so that's a good one to read right away after we know our tea tika mm-hmm. um i also wanted to make a little note little mention that i really deliberately stay away from any song or chant that has tea tika and tika tea and i know i said this previously but i think it is confusing mm-hmm. if you have a uh, ticket t in your song and you want kids to focus on t ticka because they will get them mixed up and confused yep. especially if there's also ticket tickets in there oh yeah yeah so i wait for any t ticket ticket t and there's some great t ticket ticket t's back to back songs um, that I love to use. Ida Red is a mm. wonderful one, but that is for later when we then know Ticka T and then we can, you know, talk about the differences and be able to articulate that. Yeah. All right. Um, so as far as part work, love to do beat versus rhythm activities because part work with rhythm, really your first part work is always going to be these people are doing the beat these people are doing the rhythm right and then as we get further along um we build to hopefully oh you're doing your beat in your feet and the rhythm in your hands right and then after that wouldn't it be a lovely thing you're doing the beat in your left hand the rhythm in your right hand all of my kids who've played piano they can do this right but um that is a challenging thing and I'm doing, well, this year, I'm doing T-Tekka in fourth grade, and we probably won't be going to beat versus rhythm with one hand doing beat, one hand doing rhythm, but it's very worthwhile to have whole group, this half the class doing the beat, this half the class doing rhythm on instruments of different timbres. So maybe you have kids on drums playing the beat, maybe you have kids on rhythm sticks, to be very simple, playing the rhythm. Um, and one thing that is challenging for T-Ticka and Ticka-Ticka, any rhythms that have those 16th note patterns, um, they should be playing an instrument where they can use two hands and alternate. Yes. Because they'll be able to articulate that rhythm. So I know I just said rhythm sticks, but let's take that back. Um, <laughs> and well, one thing that I've done with El Relo is that I have kids play on D and F or D and A, and they could just play back and forth, tumba, ke tumba, 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 which is kind of messy, but you get that nice minor chord. Yeah. I let them choose from those three notes, and we're just alternating. Or I've also had them play on one bar. Okay, you just play the D, tumba, 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 tumba. But that seems to be kind of challenging for them, I've noticed. Yeah, because it's so, it's like cramped, right? It's cramped, yeah. And this is where I, my my last school, I, I didn't have a lot of bass bars, but I had some, and I'm missing them about now. Yeah. Because that's so nice when you can have um, a student on that huge bar, able to alternate hands yeah that's fun 
Yeah. Um, inner hearing, I love to like put up a rhythm of a song that we know and color all the tea tickas a different color. And we have to inner hear those tea tickas. So we're reading it, but we're inner hearing those tea tickas. We can also do inner hearing where we're following, say, a puppet that goes into a cone and we're speaking the rhythm. And when the puppet goes into the cone, then we're hearing it in our heads. So there's so much on inner hearing. We should have a whole separate episode for that, Carrie. Ooh, you know, yeah. okay. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, yes. So, and then I've already talked a little bit about composition where I use that one beat, that card with the T ticka and improvisation would just be, we can have a rhythm conversation. Um, the whole point in this, in these rhythms is we want to make sure that students are fluent, rhythmically fluent, just like they would be with language. So it's one thing to like know how to spell a word, know what a word is. It's another thing to be able to put it in a sentence and to speak that and to read a sentence fluently and not disjointed without any understanding. So it's the same thing. And this is why I use rhythm syllables, and this is why lots of us use rhythm syllables, is that you're giving them a vocabulary that they can just rattle off. It's much more important that they are fluent with a rhythm and using ta's, tt's, tikka-tikka's, or, you know, whatever your flavor of choice is, um, as long as you are consistent and you give them that rhythm vocabulary, uh, that really leads to their rhythm fluency, I think much more than counting with one and two and one E and a two E and a, I think that kind of rhythm counting should be left for later. Yeah. Or yeah. just saying quarter notes, eighth notes, eighth, sixteenth note combinations. Like, yes, yes. By the end of fifth grade, I do want my students to know those names of the notes. But I, I tell my students from a very early age, we don't call, we we see a cow we can right. say that's a cow we don't say that's a moo so like i'll it say sound yeah, moo. yeah this is a quarter note but it says ta you know so we talk about the difference between naming it and versus what it says so yeah, yeah. i agree that that fluency is important through that yes. modality and then I want to give a shout out for stations, which is a fantastic way to practice a melodic or a rhythmic element. Yeah. And what I love about stations in the practice stage is that all of these different modalities, you can work them into your stations. Uh -huh. So you can have a station where they are decoding, where they hear the rhythm. I mean, I have things on my TPT store. I know there's lots of these where you hear a rhythm played and then you have to say, okay, is it this one or this one? And hopefully if you're getting good rhythm games, um, they should progress from choosing between two rhythms, choosing between three rhythms, changing the timbre for mm -hmm. each new rhythm. Like that's all very important. So I make sure when I make rhythm games for myself that I usually put on teacher based teachers that I have different timbres and that we progress from choose between these two now choose between these three and yeah. that kind of thing. So in a stations area, you can have decoding, you can have a station where they are reading a rhythm and going around a circle. And after they are able to read the rhythm, every single person, then they get an instrument and they can play the rhythm as they are saying it, which is a really challenging thing for all elementary school kids 
whenever I know, whenever I'm bringing out instruments, I just don't, I'm not surprised anymore when the rhythm speaking goes away. Yeah. And if they're able to articulate and play the rhythm while they're not saying it, that's fine. But if they're not, then, then I need to take away the instrument. Yep. Because they don't have it in their heads. Yeah. Um, so yeah, stations, we can be reading, we can be playing and saying, we can also have an improvisation area where you are giving them rhythm cards where two beats are dictated for them, but then they have to create within the next two beats, right? Mm -hmm. And share that. So anyway, stations is a wonderful way to get in a lot of these individual or smaller group practice things for just getting fluent with our new rhythm among the other rhythms that we know. Yeah. And if you want more ideas for stations, we have a whole episode about stations. Of course, now I don't know the number uh, offhand, but we'll link to it in the show notes um, yeah. if you want more ideas for stations. And I, I want to say one more thing, if I may, Tanya, and feel yeah. free to chime in as well. Um, something that, I mean, you touched on and I mentioned it um, with melodic practice as well. And I think this is where um, Kodai-inspired teachers can really get a bad reputation for this drill and kill mentality. Um, because during the practice stage, this is where we are doing a lot of things with with flashcards and PowerPoint presentations and, you know, taking patterns and, and isolating patterns. However, the important thing is that you are always relating those patterns back to song mm -hmm. literature. So if I'm doing some sort of poison pattern activity, well, guess what? One of those last patterns that we're going to read in the poison pattern activity is the pattern of the next song we're going to do in that yes. lesson. So yes. not only does that help with transitions, but it also just helps the kids understand that these patterns don't just exist within isolation. They're part of real literature, real songs. So just yes. something to remind ourselves. We don't want to drill and kill our kids during the practice stage. We want to make sure we're always bringing it back to song literature. And it could also be listening. You can take patterns from listening examples, um, you know, from classical music, from popular music, any type of music, and you can pull out patterns to practice these things, but bring it back to quote unquote real music, not just right. a bunch of flashcards. Oh, no, no. It, don't you love it when you'll have a flashcard um, that they sing or they say and, and one of the kids goes wait wait i know that one yeah yeah because yeah, i mean that is just like my go-to is hey i think i've heard this pattern before and yeah. they're like oh and then they immediately start yeah i mean then they start to figure out that's the game we play and they start to play it on their own yeah totally. yeah that's a beautiful thing yes we always want to make sure we are relating it back this is all connected to the songs that we know and love and play yes So now it is time for our Know Better, Do Better segment, where we think about uh, being more culturally responsive and more equitable in our classrooms and just what we can do to make sure we're doing right by our kids. So Tanya, what do you want to talk about? Well, I'm going to mention a couple of publications that I have not yet read because, well, I know one of them just came out and that one is by Dr. Karen Howard. We are big Karen Howard fans over Yay. here and everything that she touches is gold basically yep so listen to Karen Howard if you have an opportunity uh, to purchase her books 
please do so. But her latest one is called Realize in Diversity, an Equity Framework for Music Education by Dr. Karen Howard. And I do not have this book yet, but you can get it at GIA Music. It's also available at J.W. Pepper, but GIA is her main publisher. Um, so I'm really looking forward to digging into that and maybe doing a deep dive for some kind of book study and then I don't know. Some... Oh, are you thinking like a 2023 summer book club selection, I, Tanya? It's a, it's a little soon to make those plans, but... No, I had the same thought when I saw that book came out. I was like, ooh, we should do this for our summer book club. Yeah, <laughs> I think it's exactly. an easy choice for us. But It is an easy choice. And, uh, you know, I just I can't wait to dig into it. Yeah. I haven't gotten that yet. So I'm recommending it, even though I don't know. But it's Dr. Karen Howard, so we know. We know. know. All right. Um, another publication that I also have not read, but that sounds worthwhile, uh, was a recommendation from our friend Amy Abbott, and it's called Honoring Trans and Gender Expansive Students in Music Education by Matthew L. Garrett and Joshua Palkey. Um, and wow, that's wonderful that we have something specifically where we're talking about music education and in the music room. Um, it, no matter how you might feel about students or individuals who are gender nonconforming or are struggling with their gender identity, the things that these students and individuals are going through are very real. And we really wanna make sure we are honoring all of our students. So I think that this will be a very good read and ensuring that we are respectful and inclusive of all of our students. Um, just to say uh, you might have different opinions about these kind of things, but the students in your room who are having these struggles, it's a real thing. And I, I know I just said that twice, but um, it's not something that you can talk people out of. Uh, kids who are feeling that they don't fit with a specific group that they're supposed to fit with. So anyway, yeah. that's all we'll say about that. But I think these two publications are going to be an awesome addition to any music teacher's uh, professional development and just learning about how we can treat our students with respect and inclusivity. Because if you are not having that, wonderful positive relationship with kids they're just not going to learn from you totally and now carrie please tell us how to work smarter and not harder because yes. i need that well give us a brilliant tip this is something that maybe might feel like you're working harder, but I think in the long run, it's working smarter. And it has to do with um, parent communications. So whether that is a 
upcoming concert you have or trying to get choir started or anything that you need to send home. And I'm saying parent, but I mean family communications, all family members of students, grown up communications. Um, I have in my head um, a rule of three. And so the rule of three is that before any concert or anything that I'm expecting families to be aware of, I want to make sure that they have had three opportunities to hear from me and in different ways. So I'm thinking about this because, as I mentioned earlier, I have a choir performance coming up in a couple of weeks. So um, just yesterday at my choir rehearsal, I sent home a physical piece of paper. And then in a couple of days, I'm also going to send an email that has the all the same information that was in that piece of paper. And then another place they can access that information is on my website. I have a special page on my music website that's dedicated to our choir calendar. And I have a Google Doc embedded into that website. So as I update the choir calendar, as I find out more about upcoming performances, it's a live thing and it, it updates live on the website too, which is a great thing. And then in this case, there's even a fourth point of communication and that's through the students themselves because I created a Google Classroom for my choir students where I upload PDFs of the pieces that we are working on and then sometimes practice tracks that I've created or whatever and then they can practice at home but then I also include our choir calendar on their music Google Classroom. So in this case, I have four points of communication, but I want to make sure I always have at least three because what I don't want to happen is the day of the concert, I get a million gazillion emails. Where is it? What time is it? Blah, 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 blah. Um, I have found that any time in the past where I have been rushed for time and I've only sent home like one physical paper note, I find that's not going to cut it. And then I feel bad if a student misses out on something because I didn't take the time to communicate communicate well. So again, it does take time, but I feel like if I build up these routines with myself, it doesn't take very long to do these things because I have an email list set up with my choir parents. And, um, you know, I have a system for when I make photocopies and I get those things you know, copied and cut and ready to go home and send home to my kids. So as long as you have those systems in place, these things don't take long. But, you know, just something to keep in mind when you're sending home family communication, the rule of three, make sure you've sent something home in some way at least three times. That's excellent advice. Yes. Thanks. So now it's time for our CODA section where we give some recommendation of something we like. So, Tanya, what do you like? I like audiobooks. Okay. Yes. So I don't know about you, Carrie, but I love to read. But then the sitting down and the reading and not doing other things is a challenge. Yeah, I don't have time for that. <laughs> i got to make dinner. And I've got to fold laundry and I've got to, you know drive. So yeah, I've been doing a lot of audiobooks and I revisited uh, three audiobooks very recently that I actually read at the beginning of this year. And I I like rereading, especially when it's a re-listen and it's done really well. And I'm talking about the Scythe series. So these are books um, that are young adult uh, fiction. And the three books are Scythe, um, the Toll, oh, the Scythe, the Thunderhead, or Thunderhead, and The Toll. And all of three, all of these three are dystopian novels, 
Um, they're very well done. If you think you're not going to be entertained because they're YA, I would just say, you know, YA, when it's done well, it's just for everybody. I think yeah. you could say that for any genre of fiction or, you know, any book at all. So anyway, um, my husband and I, we took a trip recently during the fall break and we had a four and a half hour drive each way. And so we listened to the first book and then we just started listening to the next book um, when we've been together. And uh, my goal is to work through all three of them again because there's going to be a fourth book released. I think it's like November 7th. Oh, called, really? Yeah. Called Gleanings. Okay. So I'm just, it's, it's just fun to reacquaint myself with these three books, even though I read them in January um, before I read the fourth book. And they're just so well done. So I recommend the, the Scythe series. If you like dystopian YA, think Hunger Games-ish kind of novels. Yeah, my son's read all of those and he really likes them. I have not yet, but maybe I should. They're very good. Okay. And what about you, Carrie? What are you into right All now? All right. Well, I like listening to podcasts. <laughs> surprise, surprise. Um, and I know we have we have mentioned our good friend Aileen before, but she just released a podcast um, just this last week. Um, this is her episode number 85, Favorite Music Education Resources. And it's a real quick listen. And first of all, thank you, Aileen, for mentioning us in your episode, which is really sweet. But um, other than that, I mean, besides us, if you're already listening, listening to us and you're already here. Thank you. But um, she mentioned some other really great resources, um, some that, you know, I kind of haven't thought of in a while that I was like, oh, yeah, I need to go back and and read or listen or watch that or whatnot. Um, she talks about things that are print, podcasts, websites, things on social media. Um, so it's just a great short little resource uh, webs or podcast. If you're looking for some new resources for your music room, definitely give it a listen. Yeah, and that said, really, you should be listening to Aileen and not oh, missing yeah. a single episode because uh, everything that Aileen puts out on her podcast is, I always come away with like, oh, I hadn't thought about that or, oh, now I want to try this. So it, yeah. it's wonderful stuff. Give her a listen, of course. Oh, yeah. We've reached the double bar line. Thank you for listening to Music Teacher Coffee Talk. Show notes can be found at musicteachercoffeetalkpodcast.com. You can connect with us on Facebook and Instagram. Just look for Music Teacher Coffee Talk. If you enjoyed this show, please consider subscribing, rating, and leaving us a review on iTunes to help others find this podcast. And we always appreciate folks buying us a coffee, so look for that link on our show notes and on our Facebook page. Until next time, this is Carrie. And this is Tanya wishing you happy musicking. <laughs>